guess what? Girl Boner turned 10 this week. A decade ago, I launched it first as a blog series, then the podcast started, then the books came out. I'm so grateful to every one of you who tunes into the show, and I have a fun way for you to celebrate. For a limited time, you can get the brand new version of my favorite necklace you've probably heard me talk about, the Vesper by Crave, for 40% off. Back their Kickstarter campaign, and you can get this gorgeous, elegant vibe necklace. Yes, it is a fully functioning vibrator at that huge discount. As a bonus, I will get a commission if you use my link, so you'll be supporting all things Girl Boner at the same time. Simply head to augustmclaughlin.com slash crave, C-R-A-V-E, or click the link in the show notes to order yours today. Because as the inscription on my new Vesper 2 reads, you are worthy. What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. especially in long-term relationships, there can be a lot of pressure that develops because when we're in newer relationship dynamics, we don't need as in-depth escalation patterns. We have that new relationship energy that just gets you horny like you're 16 again, and it doesn't require the level of intentionality around transitioning from work brain or parent brain or whatever other role you may be identifying with and embodying and reconnecting with your sexual self, getting into your body, making space for your turn on to develop. But if we feel like we need to be turned on to have an experience, that's an enormous amount of pressure to feel something other than what you're feeling. And I think that's like what a lot of pressure boils down to is This belief that you should be having an experience different than what you are having. Dr. Allison Ash, also known as Dr. Allie, is a sex and intimacy coach and educator and founder of TurnOn.Love. A couple of decades before she set her sights on helping folks cultivate more fulfilling sex lives, including navigating sex-related pressure, she was growing up in a pretty sex-positive household. The big sex talk I had with my dad, we were shopping. I was 16. I was about to visit my boyfriend, who was a freshman in college at that point, and He started to do the talk and I said, dad, dad, I know all about condoms and birth control. And then he said, that's not what I was going to tell you. I just want you to know that you can only lose your virginity once. And I hope that you make it special and that you make it memorable. And I mean, I think that there are some problematic elements in these days that we could pick apart with that statement as well. But just the fact that he was supportive of me exploring pleasure and wanting it to feel good and be positive for my well-being was was a really 
special thing to have templated, especially from your father, is really just so helpful to have a feminist dad. I think not many of us can say that we do. Indeed. At the same time, though, she said, healthy intimacy wasn't really modeled for her. I wouldn't say that my parents had a very outwardly intimate relationship. So I was very much left to my own devices. And I think how so many of us learn is through trial and error and a lot of fumbling around and figuring out what doesn't feel good on the way to figuring out what does. Her education helped fill in those gaps. As a Stanford-taught PhD sociologist, Dr. Ali understands the complex societal challenges that often lead to unsatisfying and disempowering sexual experiences. Happenings she knew well from all of that fumbling around on her own to figure things out. She wanted to learn not just about sex, but about the detailed nuances of relating and being vulnerable, she said, and the emotional intelligence that requires. That was something that I really didn't get to learn and master until my early to mid-20s. And I think that that's what inspired me to do this work was realizing the water that I was swimming in without access to these skills and how much suffering I was experiencing without even knowing that there was an alternative. One thing that was really powerful for me was having that experience in high school where that popular good-looking guy takes his hands and puts them on your head and pushes you down. I think when I think back about the memories for me that feel the most gross, even to this day in my body, there's something about that memory because I let him and I gave him oral sex and then there was no connection, no reciprocity, no anything. I felt very used and very disempowered. I remember thinking, never again. I would rather not have a sexual interaction than have something like that. And I think it lit a fire under me of, in part, anger, but also in part, determination and grit to figure out another way of feeling empowered in my sexual interactions. And I think my journey was not necessarily simple. After that, I definitely became the the air quotes, not that girl, which for me meant a girl that could be sexually empowered and didn't need emotional connection and can do it on my terms and my way, but it wasn't vulnerable. And it wasn't really acknowledging the fact that I did want emotional connection and love and affection. And I think that process was a whole nother journey that took several years. But it really started with realizing that sex could be either disempowering or empowering. And even though I didn't know what would make it empowering, I was determined to figure it out. Oh, that's powerful. So between that and your current relationship, you've done so much work and study and growth in your life. Could you speak about feeling those improvements, like feeling shifts because you do have this understanding? I think that intimacy requires deep self-awareness as well as a lot of courage to be able to self-reveal yourself. And it took me a long time of doing a lot of introspection and self-growth work and therapy and a lot of 
trainings, because when you do experiential therapeutic and coaching trainings, you're also deeply examining your own core material. But I really got to be able to understand myself, my core wounds, my needs, my desires, my fantasies, what turns me on, what turns me off. And I think that understanding yourself is part of it and then accepting yourself is the other part. I think adulting is really learning who you are, radically accepting it, and then bringing other people in on your experience and giving them your user manual so that they know how to be close to you and how to love you well. And I think for me, that was what was the game changer between my relationships in my 20s to my relationships in my 30s was being able to be more discerning because I know myself better and what I'm looking for better. And I'm not shy to name it and share it and see if somebody is compatible with me or not. Today, Dr. Allie is in a relationship that has huge compatibility. Before we get to ways to manage pressure around sex, I think you'll love their love story. She met Sebastian, who she also calls Seb, just before the pandemic. So we first connected online before shutdown, and then lockdown happened, and there was like maybe a week or two of radio silence as we were navigating the intensity of everything else that was happening in the world. And then we picked things back up, and we had one of those classic virtual video dates that people were doing in the pandemic and then had a really sweet hiking date. They hiked in the Berkeley Hills overlooking the bay. Beforehand, they had decided to close the six-foot social distancing gap and she had giddy butterflies about holding his hand because, quote, there was anticipation and intentionality around something that could have otherwise seemed so mundane. Sebastian brought a pretty impressive picnic spread and they found a grassy area off the trail and put a blanket down to enjoy it. Meanwhile, they dropped into connection over snacks, taking in this incredible view and their conversation went deep. I mean, we were talking about attachment styles and non-monogamy preferences and or past relationships and what we were wanting for our future. There was no holding back in terms of our exploration. And I think what we realized pretty early on was two things. One, this felt really different, that we felt the potential to feel met in ways that we hadn't felt met before, in ways that maybe we had both been wondering if it was still possible, if we were wanting too much or dreaming too big if our standards were too high. And that was really, really exciting. They also realized that they wanted to cultivate that relationship very intentionally. And even though the pandemic created this interesting opportunity where there was so much spaciousness, and for me, my lifestyle before the pandemic was anything but spacious, and even though there was all this excitement of feeling this aliveness in our connection, We took it slow, and we were really intentional about the ways that we spent time together and the boundaries that we needed and the ways that we could create safety and build a foundation of trust. 
This was before many people were discussing the idea of potting together, but they decided to do just that. After their second date, they agreed to live together, which made for an especially intimate way to get to know someone. And while they had both been non-monogamous in past relationships, they wanted to be safe virus-wise. So they stayed monogamous at first out of necessity. She said that that, along with the solace of lockdowns, cut down so much of the noise. Neither one of us were dating other people at the time. And I was working from home. He didn't live with anybody at the time. And so it was very easy to make this decision to pod up and to do it with a lot of communication and discussion around how we were spending our time and who we were interacting with. And I mean, it's an amazing way to discover somebody else's ability to navigate things like consent and boundaries and questions of emotional safety and being able to negotiate agreements. And it was really wonderful to get to see how amazingly skilled he is through our discussions of what potting up would look like. That inevitably paved the way for what their partnership would look like, she said. It also highlighted their personalities. I think we're similar in a lot of ways. We're both relational nerds. We really enjoy going deep and exploring the ins and outs of love and life and philosophy. And we like to geek out with each other, but we're also both very silly and playful and really enjoy being kind of wild and extroverted and adventurous and explorative. One of the things that's really special about him is just how much freedom he gives me to be me, how much he fully welcomes all of me and the ways in which I can be very different. I'm a really emotional person. I have really high highs and really low lows, and I feel my feelings very intensely. And he's more mellow and laid back and easygoing. And at the same time, he was the first person in my life that made me feel like my big feelings were a gift and not a burden. He says my big emotionality helps him feel alive and feel in touch with the intensity of life. And his easygoingness really helps me feel like the ways in which I'm particular isn't too much and that I'm not too much. And of course, all of that influenced their early sexual connection too, which she described as somewhat of a roller coaster, one that was fueled by longing. Based on my attachment style, if he was up for it, I would have U-hauled and moved in and spent 24-7 with this human. And he was a lot more practical and needing more alone time and spaciousness and slowness. And so... That created a lot of anticipation and longing. And I think that the first few months, certainly for me, were very much a roller coaster. It's really intense falling in love with somebody. And the highs of that NRE, the new relationship energy, the dopamine, oxytocin, and the norepinephrine, I mean, all of that is so intoxicating and enlivening and also really difficult to be with (laughs) and scary and vulnerable. 
you know, I was in my late thirties when we met and I had been single for a really long time. And it was a lot to be with the longing and the hope and the reality of the fact that I had been in so many relationships that hadn't worked out. So all of that, I would have to say, I think really fueled our sexual connection in certain ways because that intensity and that longing also made it hot <laughs> and made the sex reassuring and affirming of our bond and helped pave the way for our love. And so there was so much involved in that. And I mean, we were like teenagers. There was so much sex and it ranged from hot quickies to really long, spacious, explorative sex. And I think one of the things that really stood out for the two of us was how much we both took steps to make it feel safe, comfortable, to alleviate pressure where we could, and to make it fun to explore what he liked, what I liked, what we both liked together, that we really honored the intelligence of each other's self-awareness and embodiment and wanted to learn from the other, but also realized that there was this new thing we were co-creating and fun that we could explore that neither one of us had experienced before. Mm, wow. At what point did you start thinking about marriage? And was was marriage something that was even kind of on your radar going into the relationship? Yes, it's really funny because I have been a feminist for as long as I can remember and queer and kinky and I'm monogamous and just really alternative with how I relate to sex and my own sexuality. And yet marriage has always been something that I've fantasized about. And I think as somebody with an anxious attachment style, somebody who grew up in a dynamic that wasn't necessarily having the intimacy modeled for me that I always wanted, I fantasized about the security and the family structure and the level of attachment and belonging that marriage would signify. Sebastian had been married before. That was one of the many topics that came up on their second date. A couple of months into the relationship, she asked him if he was open to getting married again. I know many people, after they get married, they're like, been there, done that, don't want to do it again. He shared that he was very much open to being remarried, and so that was maybe the first seed that we talked about. By then, they had already talked at length about decisions around having kids and the specifics of their relationship style. The non-monogamy conversations, did you feel like you were in sync with that right away? Yeah, so he had been non-monogamous in his previous marriage on and off and other relationships, but he had done the kind of non-monogamy where you're dating other people, maybe having other relationships tangentially while you're in your primary partnership. And I've done all sorts of forms of non-monogamy throughout my life and have really come to the realization that what works best for me is to have more emotional monogamy and more sexual monogamy, that I prefer to share in the experiences more often than not with my partner, that it creates more intimacy and closeness with my partner when it's something that we can share in together rather than when it's something that's happening independently and separately. And that's very different than how he had ever done non-monogamy before. And so it was a lot of 
exploration around would that work for him? Also, what were we comfortable leaving on the table rather than taking off the table altogether? Acknowledging that the depth of intimacy and security that we can create together means that I don't actually know what I will feel comfortable with in the future. But that I needed to know that if nothing changed for me, would that be enough for him? Mm. Oh, what an important conversation. Yeah. And scary. Yeah. Yeah. I can yeah. feel that. Very vulnerable for sure. Mm-hmm. Those talks paid off. And about a year into their relationship, the couple knew they were headed toward marriage. About six months after that, Sebastian proposed. The proposal itself wasn't a surprise. We designed my engagement ring together and we had actually picked out our venue before the proposal. <laughs> and I kept saying to him, Seb, you have to propose because we can't send out the save the date till you propose. <laughs> and I really did not know how this human was going to make it a surprise. And he planned the most elaborate and special day-long scavenger hunt that took me throughout the city, meeting a bunch of my close friends, doing really silly love-filled missions. And it all culminated with me meeting him at this beautiful park called the Albany Bulb where I had to follow a trail of flowers to find him in this middle of a labyrinth and um, and he proposed to me in the middle of the labyrinth and then all of my friends came out from hiding and we had the most amazing party with when my friends started DJing and at the sunset oh my god it was so spectacular and it was so full of surprises all day long even though i knew it was coming it was really special <laughs> that is incredible oh my gosh and the labyrinth seems so you too this discovery and this mystery and oh that gave me chills that's right and the moving towards but then moving away and you know because when you're going in a labyrinth it's not a linear line and i think that that was so representative of our relationship but also intimacy sex None of this is linear and we need space for the elasticity of relationships, of intimacy, of our libidos, you know, that that it can hold the coming and the going. Earlier this fall, it came time for their wedding. We had an hour-long ceremony. We really let ourselves indulge and we had our families participate in this beautiful spice ceremony that was really a beautiful visual representation of of our blending families. And we wrote our eight pillars of partnerships, our eight core values that really are at the foundation of our intimacy. And we had our close friends read these and, and share them and share how these core values show up in our lives. And then We wrote really lengthy vows that we managed to keep a surprise. And it was so powerful to feel so fully known and accepted. I mean, just like this depth of belonging that I think my soul had just always craved and never knew if it would really be possible for me. And to have that expression be witnessed by all of our community and loved ones. I mean, ceremony is very much a co-created collaborative experience and the presence and the love that was infused in that container and it's wow it's a really powerful experience to have
The holidays are nearing, and I don't know about you, but many of my favorite gifts to give and receive support wonderful causes. Now, through December 4th, one of my favorite nonprofit organizations, Musa Masala, is holding a special sale that can help you do just that. Every purchase supports their projects in healthcare and education, all aimed at enhancing the outdoors for everyone. Whether you are a first-time hiker or an experienced trekker, I especially love my long-sleeved hooded sun shirt from Musa Masala and my cozy navy blue socks. I was also honored to help them finalize their book, Musa Masala, Mountain Girl of the Himalaya. It's a perfect gift for kids and adults who love art, nature, or moving stories. To shop and save 15%, Visit musamasala.com and click the store tab or find a direct link in the show notes. Again, that's musamasala.com. This show is supported by BetterHelp. Have you ever wished that life came with a user manual? A couple of years ago, I was dealing with major overwhelm, and I definitely did. The overwhelm snuck up on me, and by the time I finally talked it all out, Things had gotten really stressful, and talking about it turned out to be exactly what helped me get on a peaceful path. Life may not actually give us a user manual, but therapy can be the next best thing. If you're feeling stuck in a challenge around your career, relationships, or emotional well-being, your BetterHelp therapist can help you learn coping skills, gain self-empowerment, manage trauma, and more. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash girlboner. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash girlboner. With a love story like that, and the expertise Dr. Ellie has, You might think that pressure around sex is not a thing for her. She's probably figured it all out, right? And all things sex must come easily. Pun embraced. Well, yes, she does know how to navigate challenges, but that does not mean she and her partner don't have them, being human and all. She also works with many folks who experience pressure around sex, whether self-imposed or from a partner. Because we're talking about marriage, I was thinking how there's like this wedding honeymoon period. It's supposed to be a big sex festival. (laughs) And also sometimes you're exhausted. Like that can be a thing. But has pressure around sex come up for you at all in this relationship? Sure. Yeah. I think pressure is something that creeps into almost every relationship in some way at some point in time. And pressure for us has looked different over the course of our relationship. Earlier on, pressure was more around performance. I know for him, pressure around performing. And I felt, well, to be honest, I think I didn't feel as much pressure earlier on. I think that was more 
something that he was experiencing and something I was more actively working with so that I could create safety and deconstruct the pressure. So that meant making sex not goal-oriented. It didn't have to be penetrative. Sex was about exchanging sexual energy, non-linear sex, that it doesn't have to look like kissing to fingering to oral to penetration, that it can look any which way, which is so permission granting. And if somebody's body isn't performing in the way that we might want it to perform, that we have a whole menu of options of other things that we can do to explore and create pleasure and take pressure off our bodies so that we can actually just be with the rightness of the moment. That, she said, is how pressure was manifesting for them early on and how they worked through the pressure. Then, as the new relationship energy, NRE, wore off, it shifted into another common form. As the hustle and bustle of life started to pick up again and stress and exhaustion and just life changes started to happen, I think we started to develop a different kind of pressure. And I would say that for us, our pressure has been self-imposed, right? We're not pressuring the other person and that does happen in relationship dynamics. But for us, it's more like, you know, a pressure when our libidos were different. And maybe I was experiencing a lot of stress or exhaustion and he was hornier than I was. And I just felt guilty for not being able to meet him in certain ways or for being stuck in my head and not being able to feel as much pleasure or be as connected to giving pleasure. And I also went through a period where, and just people with vulvas out there, I cannot believe as a sex educator, I did not know this. And so I I want you all to know (laughs) That if you're experiencing a lot of painful penetration and you're on birth control pill and you're in your late 30s, it can really dry you out. And I did not know this. And I was experiencing painful penetration for maybe six months. And that created all sorts of pressure around sex. And is it going to feel good? And what's going to happen if it doesn't feel good? But another one I can think of for sure is special occasions, wedding, birthday, anniversaries, all of that can create so much pressure. Yeah, it's so true. And so much of it, I think in a relationship where there's mutual respect, pretty much the pressure does come from ourselves. So much of it involves expectations and wanting to measure up and all these things. When you mentioned that he maybe felt some pressure, some like performance type pressure wanting to measure up, was anything around that because you're this like complete sex expert? Was he like... She knows everything. Like, this has to be, this has to be hot. This has to be, I need to read every book. I need to make sure I know it all. I'm sure there was some of that for him. And I mean, to his credit, he did a good job masking that. You know, it's never fun to be pedestaled. And it was really hard dating doing this job because it is very intimidating to most people. And I think... Part of what was really helpful was to take agency over my own pleasure so that I didn't make him feel like he needed to know what got me off or he needed to be this expert that could come in and just know all of my buttons and how to push them. This was going to be something that we were going to learn, that he had that humility to want to come in and discover what turned me on, but also deeply attuned and intuitive and embodied himself. And so 
that just allowed for a lot of chemistry and fluidity and comfort and ease. And so, yes, he definitely felt performance pleasure around being with this sex educator and all of that. But also just as a man, it's so vulnerable having a penis. And I think most people who don't have penises don't get that. Like you have this part of your body that you don't always have control over. Sometimes it's hard when you don't want it to be. Sometimes it's not hard when you do want it to be. And sometimes you're coming when you don't want to come and not coming when you do want to come. And beyond that, we have all culturally imbued the significance in the penis that it is an indication of turn on and desire and masculinity and all of this stuff that's just utter crap. And it takes us so away from our ability to just feel pleasure. And so I think really him knowing that I got that on a deep level and that I didn't need his body to perform in a certain way for me to be into him and turned on and that we could explore pleasure in a wide range of ways that doesn't require his penis was so empowering and permission granting. And when you take the pressure off the cock, the cock will perform. (laughs) But when the pressure is on the cock, it creates a self-fulfilling prophecy and people with vulvas can experience that in our own way as well. But these self-fulfilling prophecies around pressure can be deeply, deeply entrapping. And so to be able to name that, to be able to look at it and to deconstruct it is so helpful. In addition to pressure around performance and holidays and honeymoon periods when it comes to sex, Dr. Ali sees a lot of challenges involving sexual pressure in long-term relationships. There can be a lot of pressure that develops because when we're in newer relationship dynamics, we don't need as in-depth escalation patterns. We have that new relationship energy that just gets you horny like you're 16 again. And it doesn't require the level of intentionality around transitioning from work brain or parent brain or whatever other role you may be identifying with and embodying and reconnecting with your sexual self, getting into your body, making space for your turn on to develop. But if we feel like we need to be turned on to have an experience, that's an enormous amount of pressure to feel something other than what you're feeling. And I think that's like what a lot of pressure boils down to is this belief that you should be having an experience different than what you are having. And that could be your body looking different, your turn on looking different, the pressure that your sex should look different, be more interesting have that mutual climax during penetration, whatever your belief system is and the ways that you feel like you're falling short. Ah, yes. That made me think of scheduling sex. Such a common tip and I understand, you know, can be very important to make sure you're making time because of the hustle and bustle of life. And it can potentially instill this pressure because it is what you said. On Thursday at 2.45 is what I'm supposed to be turned on. That's right. Does that come up a lot? Yes, and I never recommend scheduling sex. I think that is one of the most sincere mistakes people can make. I recommend scheduling time for intimacy. And when you have your intimacy dates, I work with clients to help them come up with what I call an intimacy menu. And on your intimacy menu are a wide range of things that can feed both emotional intimacy, physical intimacy, and sexual intimacy. Things that can take a short amount of time, things that can be really in-depth. 
and things that can feel really vulnerable and intimate and things that feel a little bit more accessible and maybe surface level. And what I encourage folks to do is on your intimacy date, pick something that feels good and enticing and yummy, even if it's something like sharing gratitudes or affirmations or gentle massage or taking a bath together. It doesn't have to be erotic because all pleasure awakens pleasure, even if it's non-sexual pleasure. And intimacy helps pave the way for other forms of intimacy, even if it's emotional intimacy. And I also really recommend creating environments that are pleasurable to the senses. Not that you have to like put the pressure on because you've created this whole big wooing situation, but to just think really practically around what kind of lighting is going to allow you to feel at ease? What kind of music is going to help you be in the moment? What kind of scents or tastes or textures are going to allow you to feel soothed and relaxed and pave the way for more sensual pleasure, which can pave the way for more sexual pleasure. So I think it's about creating the opportunity, having an opportunity-rich environment with low expectations and not having it be goal-oriented, that you're not trying to have penetrative sex, you're just wanting to feel closer to your partner, and that any intimacy experienced is a win. I think of it as you have an account in the intimacy bank, and any time that you have any kind of intimate interaction, you're depositing intimacy in the intimacy bank, and having a richer bank account is going to make any future intimate encounters feel less pressure-filled and more easeful and more accessible. If you're experiencing a sense of pressure around sex, those shoulds or expectations that make things not so sexy, Dr. Ali recommends, number one, talking to your partner about it. Because when we're navigating pressures around sex on our own, it creates more disconnection and more stress and more shame because we're trying to hide it because we think there's something wrong with the fact that we're feeling pressure and that just, it amplifies it. And so to be able to name the elephant in the room is so helpful. And you can do that when you're not having sex, which can then make it easier to do it when you are having sex. And so for me, what that might look like is I'll say to my partner, oh, I'm feeling pressure right now. And what he'll do is he'll say, oh, hi, pressure, which is our just way of like making a little bit of space for it, not problematizing it. And then what he'll often do is reassure me that it doesn't have to look any particular way. And that he's enjoying just getting to be intimate with me. And that doesn't mean that he has to deny desires that he may authentically have. But it's also just connecting with this fact that he really genuinely just wants to be close with me and wants to honor the rightness of the moment. And so I think the first thing to do is to get your partner buy-in, that you're both willing to reorient around your sexual pleasure in a different way. And that can make it really safe. And feel like there's that emotional intimacy, which is going to make it feel easier to navigate anything that comes up sexually. If you're feeling a lot of pressure around a particular type of sex, Dr. Ali recommends taking that type off the table for a set amount of time, a week, two weeks, a month. So for example, if you feel pressure around having penetrative sex. You say to your partner, let's take penetrative sex off the table. Or maybe it's like anything related to my vulva off the table, whatever it is that you need to reduce the pressure that you're feeling. 
with the intention of exploring other kinds of intimacy. So it's not just let's take sex off the table and just do our own work and barely interact for the month. It's let's have intimacy dates and explore emotional intimacy and physical intimacy and reacquainting with pleasure in other ways that can feel exciting and enlivening. And I don't have to be bracing for it going someplace that I'm not comfortable for it going yet. What does it look like when people do this work? What are some of the signs and folks that you see that it's helping and also the rewards that people can anticipate? Because I think so often it's just like, just want to get rid of the pressure. That's true. Well, I think one of the things that is so important to develop is the ability to redirect, de-escalate, and complete. So redirect, if something isn't quite feeling right, for you. It's not the right position or it's too hard or too fast, whatever it is, to be able to redirect verbally and non-verbally so that you're co-creating your experiences so that it's feeling good. If you're enduring something that doesn't feel good, you're going to get stuck in your head. You're not going to be in your body. And it's, it's related to pressure. Either you're feeling pressure, so you're enduring or you're enduring and then pressure develops on the back end. So being able to redirect so it's feeling pleasurable, being able to de-escalate if it's going too fast or going in a direction you don't want it to go into, to be able to feel comfortable, to be able to co-create the pacing as well. And then to be able to complete, you feel like you're done and you're full. Can you say that? And that doesn't mean that your partner has to be complete. Maybe you offer a helping hand or sexy words or an affirmative gaze, or you just hold them, they can complete on their own terms, but that you can feel done when you need to be done. And those three skills in combination really help couples reduce pressure because they don't have to know where they're heading before they begin. They can really see what develops, what turn on unfolds, what desire unfolds as the experience is developing. And they don't have to endure anything that isn't working for them. Those three skills reduce pressure, but they also immensely increase our capacity for pleasure because it allows for real, authentic, hot, yummy sex. And it also reduces sex that you're not enjoying, which reduces resentment towards sex or maybe even towards your partner in the long run. And I think those are the two biggest benefits is feeling like you're having sex you enjoy more and less sex that you're not enjoying. I just love the sense of autonomy that that has to bring and the mutual respect. You each get to have your own experience and one together that you're co-creating. No measuring up required. If you would like to cultivate all of that or just make way for steamier, more gratifying intimacy, you can work with Dr. Allie in multiple ways. I'm especially excited about her upcoming master course. So I work with individuals and couples who are navigating pressure in their relationships, as well as a wide range of challenges that show up when we're trying to create intimacy. And I also have a wonderful team of coaches, including my husband, who is also a sex and intimacy coach who work with folks to help them feel like they have more access to the kinds of relationships and pleasure that they want. 
And in addition to working with folks in a coaching dynamic, I also teach a wide range of workshops and courses. And I'm really delighted that I am teaching live my sexual and emotional intimacy skills master course, which is a two month class that I sometimes offer on demand. But once a year, I teach live, which is a really powerful way to learn with a large cohort of other people who are also wanting to have more intimacy in their lives. And in the course, we go over things like boundaries, how to be more embodied and take care of your nervous system, things like developing more emotional depth and vulnerability and capacity for empathy, flirting, seduction, how to express desire, but also how to maximize pleasure and increase your capacity for pleasure. We talk about erotica and fantasies and unpacking shame. As well as how to navigate conflicts, repair ruptures, and choose a new partner if you're single or non-monogamous. To learn more or sign up for the master course, visit turnon.love and click offerings. Find a direct link in the show notes. And if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to give it a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, that's the purple iPhone app, or in the iTunes store. Thank you so much for listening.